the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
that will happen. That will happen in the last days. I will pour out from my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even upon my men servants and upon my maid servants, I will pour out from my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be transformed into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. And it will be everyone, whosoever that may call for himself on the name of the Lord, will be saved. I determined when I was just a small child that I was going to spend my life serving Jesus Christ. Now I come to this broadcast for only one purpose. And that is to secure the salvation of your soul. Now I'm going to be very transparent. I was raised in a in a very conservative, somewhat legalistic household. The church that we were a part of had come out of the Millerite movement of 1844. As a child, I built a little crystal radio. And I would listen on that crystal radio to a broadcast by a woman by the name of Catherine Kuhlman. She was a faith healer. And my heart was deeply stirred by what she said. My imagination was fired up at what God could do. So I talked to my dad about it, and my dad told me it was of the devil that the Holy Spirit baptism, that speaking in tongues, that healing, physical healing, was all from the devil, that that passed and no longer was in effect for our day. And he told me that if he caught me listening to Catherine Kuhlman on the radio, he would take my radio from me, that he would punish me. Well, I laid it aside, but then I began to have visions as a, as a young boy about the end times. I didn't know what to do with that, so I didn't do anything. My dad said it was from the devil. My mom said it was from the Holy Spirit. 
and she told me those visions would not take place until the latter part of my life. Well, I'm now 75 years old. I think it's time for those visions to come to pass. There has been a characteristic in my heart from that early decision that I would follow Jesus no matter what. And when I was in seminary, I began to understand there was some difference between what the scriptures taught and what my church taught. I continued in the church and after graduation, pastored for 10 years, Western Pennsylvania and then Washington, D.C. Increasingly, I was uncomfortable with that denomination's stand on righteousness that denomination stand on end-time events, and particularly the current philosophy toward the Holy Spirit. It finally resulted in my leaving that denomination and striking out on my own as the Holy Spirit directed me and led me. I have been a searcher after truth, found in the scriptures. Oh, everybody came to me with their truth. The denominations, pastors, professors, friends, all came with their truth. I was not content with their truth. I searched the scriptures because I wanted to know. I wanted to know. I had to know what is the truth. So I grabbed a hold of, of the truth that the Holy Spirit brought to my heart, and that was the truth of repentance. And I began preaching here in Washington a message of repentance. And immediately, the National Prayer Chapel was born. And very quickly, we grew. But I was not content to only preach a message of repentance. My heart was hungry for more than that. I repented of my sin. But my heart was not satisfied, and so I continued to search the scriptures. And I found a truth new to me, but not new to God's people that was so stunning and so life-altering that when I began to preach it, I lost most of the congregation. People seem to want to identify with what they believe is truth, what they've been taught, what they're comfortable with, well, I'm uncomfortable with that. I want more. I want Jesus. I'm not big on apologetics, even though doctrine is important to me. But as one man said, I've never heard of anyone being saved by apologetics. No, it's not apologetics that wins the heart to Jesus. And my heart was searching after something deeper with Jesus. 
And that's when, through the help of a dear brother, I began to search out this question of holiness, of righteousness. I began to search the scriptures for the question, is it possible for a man or a woman to leave his sin and to have the old man of sin utterly removed from our hearts? Holiness. I read the passage that without holiness, no man will see the Lord. And I said, holiness. And of course, friends said, oh, pastor, you need to understand when you come to Jesus, God doesn't see you anymore. He only sees Jesus, and so grace covers over your sin. Well, that didn't make sense to me. That sounded like God was a cheater, like he was playing some kind of shell game. You're not what you seem, but I'll save you because I'm righteous. No, it doesn't work like that. And I found this wonderful truth of holiness. John Wesley's writings were very helpful to me. Malcolm Lavender's writings were very helpful to me. As I sought for an understanding of, of holiness, of righteousness, and some precious brothers and sisters stood by me. Now, please understand, this journey has not been without me stumbling and making many mistakes and believing that I was right and others were wrong and then have to come to the conclusion and understanding that it's not about being right it's about being one with Jesus and being filled by his spirit. And so first it was repentance. And then I sought after holiness, righteousness, the removal of all sin from my life so that I could walk day by day with no understanding that there was sin in my heart because I was cleansed by the blood of Jesus. The Greek word aphemi is translated in our New Testament many times as to forgive. But it literally means, yes, to forgive, but also to utterly remove from us that sin. So in this journey of struggling to understand the word of God, I would come close to beginning to think about the Holy Spirit, and then I would back away. It seemed too toxic to begin to really look at. I read all of the stories of revival, the Welsh revival, the African revivals, the Korean revivals, the Great Awakening in America under Jonathan Edwards, the ministry of John and Charles Wesley and others. 
always knowing something was missing. And then, as I struggled with, shall I pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, a friend that I have a great deal of respect for, a great deal of love for, even today. He said, Pastor, no. You have the Holy Spirit. When you were baptized, you received the Holy Spirit, and that is all you're going to receive. Pentecost took place for then, not now. And so I agreed, yes, I do have the presence of the Holy Spirit with me, and I rejoice in that. But it's not enough. I don't have enough. I need more. And I've had listeners like you who've written to me and called me and said, Pastor, will you just settle down and be content in the truth that you have? You have wonderful truth. Just preach that truth and don't worry about anything else. No, my love is not truth. My love is Jesus. He is the truth. And my heart hungers after Jesus. And I have to tell you, as I have looked more and more seriously at this question of being baptized in the Holy Spirit with Pentecost power, I have lost some precious family members and brothers and sisters in Christ. Not that I was in any way critical of them, simply that I can't agree with them. They say you receive the Holy Spirit at baptism and that's all there is. Now live your life. I can't do that. I need more. I need the presence of Jesus. I need the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And I want to be very clear with you. The sealing of the Holy Spirit, according to Scripture, does not come at baptism. Yes, the Holy Spirit came, and he's ministering to you, but you are not sealed for the day of redemption. And you must be sealed for the day of redemption. Now that brings me back to a parable that I have read and read and wept over. It's very familiar to all of us, but I want to share with you what the Holy Spirit is saying to me about this parable. This is Matthew 25, after Jesus has outlined what's going to happen at the end of time. So this parable is spoken to those of us who live in our day, the last day, at the end of time. Then the kingdom of the heavens will be compared to ten virgins who have taken their lamps and they went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. They who were foolish, having taken their lamps, took no oil with them. 
but the wise took oil in their containers with their lamps. Now the bridegroom was delayed, and they all became drowsy and were sleeping. And in the middle of the night a cry has come, Look, the bridegroom is coming. You must go out to meet him. Then all those virgins were awakened and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Please give us out of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Not when they must, not when there must, when there won't be enough for us and for you, but instead, you must go to the one selling, and you must buy for yourselves. But while going away to buy from them, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him. So the wedding celebration, the door was shut. And later the other virgins also come, saying, Master, Master, please open to us. But having answered, he said, Truly, I say to you, I don't know you. So you must watch, because you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Now, obviously, let's identify the, the plain meaning of the, of the parable. The fact that there are five wise and five foolish virgins, the term virgin indicates purity. So these are people who have left their sin. They've been transformed by the power of the blood of Jesus. They're a part of the church. They're looking for the coming of Jesus. These are people who, who have gone out to meet the bridegroom. But he was delayed. And in fact, we're facing that now. The bridegroom has been delayed. We're 2,000 years into this. It's been delayed, and, and some have become drowsy. In fact, all of us have, in some way, become drowsy and sleepy. I've had to fight that off time after time. But in the middle of the night, midnight, a cry has come, look, the bridegroom is coming. You must go out to meet him. And then all the virgins, all of those followers of Jesus are awakened and they trim their lamps. But there are five who are foolish. Now, what is it that marks them as being foolish? They have not made arrangements to have significant amount of oil that they could continue without their lamp going out. Now, the lamp is the symbol of the Holy Spirit, of the truth of Jesus. We go out to meet Jesus with his precious blood and with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. The darkness is forced to depart. Jesus is the light of the world. So we go out to meet Jesus, 
but some cannot go out to meet Jesus because they don't have enough oil. And so they say to others, look, give us some of your oil, but that oil can only be found in the sealing of the Holy Spirit. It cannot be found in another person. So they go away to make arrangements to get more oil. But while they're gone to get more oil, the bridegroom comes and the wedding feast begins. And so they come late. And the Lord of the of the wedding, the bridegroom, says, I don't know you. I don't know you. And, and the door is shut and locked. And they're left without entry. Now, I don't know how that strikes your heart, but that is terrifying to me. So I need to understand fully what's being spoken about here so that I will not be left out. And of course, if we go over here to the book of Ephesians, in the first chapter, there's this wonderful, wonderful description to the church at Ephesus that the Apostle Paul gives where every possible blessing of heaven is poured out for us. His purpose is clearly outlined that the Father intends to bring everything together under the Lordship of Jesus. Well, please, is everything in your life under the Lordship of Jesus? And if most of you are honest, you're going to have to say, no, I have my church, I have my Christian faith, and I have my job. I have my family. I have my life. I have where I like to go and what I like to do for recreation, but I'm a Christian. No. Ephesians, the first chapter, clearly tells us that everything in our life has to come under the headship of Jesus. Now, in verse 13 is this, this key that unlocked for me this morning what I'm sharing with you. Verse 13, this is Ephesians 1, 13. In whom also you having heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, that is the gospel of the kingdom of God, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you in whom also, after having believed, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. This is an obvious reference to Pentecost. There is no other granting of the Holy Spirit by promise except the promise that the Holy Spirit would come at Pentecost. Now, the disciples are converted, and they've been anointed. 
Many of you are converted, and you have been anointed, as I have been. When I talked to my precious father in the faith, David Wilkerson, some years ago, I was sitting in his office, as I used to love to do, talking and praying with him about the gospel. And I said to him, Pastor David, would you anoint me with oil for the Pentecost baptism of the Holy Spirit? And with great sadness, he said, no, Ray, I can't do that for you because I have not received that final anointing of the Holy Spirit. I've not been sealed in the Holy Spirit. I was shocked. I was frankly stunned. Who am I? I'm nobody. Why should I be crying out for Pentecost baptism? But here it is. Believing, hearing the truth of your salvation, believing that salvation, and at a subsequent time, being sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise with power. Now, I found an interesting notes on this in the Lavender Bible written by Ross Rhodes. I want to share his scholarly judgment. He is an incredibly wonderful scholar. He's a pastor. These notes are found on page 328 if you have a lavender Bible. If you don't have one, I urge you, order one. He writes, The hearing and believing preached the sealing by the Holy Spirit. That is to say, the sealing by the Holy Spirit followed the believing. Accordingly, believing and sealing are not simultaneous events. The sealing followed the believing and is not coincident with it. In other words, he's saying, you are not baptized in water and at the same time filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there are some other notes here that I want to share with you. The salvation work of the Holy Spirit is completed in two distinct aspects. One is initial salvation, and the other is the baptism of the Holy Spirit all in this life. It is well to remember these distinctions. The doctrine that the believer is saved and baptized by the Holy Spirit in one event is a very destructive doctrine. It denies the power for holiness and evangelism. This is the spirit of promise that was promised in Joel. The spirit of promise is identified as the Holy Spirit that was poured out on the day of Pentecost. Now, I've noticed a frightening thing. I have noticed that when people claim that they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit when they were baptized in water, 
I see that there is a deadness about them, that there is a pride in their hearts, and that there is a total lack of devotion and power to win the lost to Jesus. That's very concerning for me. I know people who love Jesus with all their hearts, and they have left horrific sin. They've been washed. They have, they have left the drugs. They have left the, the sexual sin. They have, they have left the bitterness and the anger. And I would say they're wonderful Christian people. But they totally lack both the interest and the ability to win the loss to Jesus. I was having an evening dinner with a large group, maybe 25 or 30 men from another congregation. And in the midst of that, there was a lull in the conversation, and so I spoke up. And I said to them, have any of you in this room won anybody to Jesus in the last year? They looked at me like I was from Mars. No, Pastor, we haven't. They began to speak around the table. No, no. I said, have any of you won one person to Jesus in the last five years? Again, no, no. I said to them, when we are followers of Jesus Christ, we are obligated to constantly bear witness for Jesus. And that witness should bear fruit. And if the witness does not bear fruit, it's because we have not been sealed in the Holy Spirit. I thought the room was going to erupt. I thought a volcano was going to go off. And one of the very articulate, super-grade military men spoke up. He said, Pastor, I understand what you're saying, but you've got to understand Certain people have talents that, that allow them to win people to Jesus. I don't have those talents. I said, oh, my brother, this is not about talents. This is about a heart for Jesus and being sealed in the Holy Spirit and walking in power. I've spent my whole adult ministry basically in Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. is one of the hardest, most demonically controlled cities in our entire nation. It is a, it is a people of conserving, holding emotion. They don't move quickly or easily. And then with the add-on of the demonic power that controls this city with its money and its power, it has both. The Federal Reserve headquarters are here in Washington, D.C. The Capitol, the White House, the Supreme Court, they're all here in Washington where there is power. 
This city is under the control of a very powerful demonic force. And this city is exceedingly wicked. For many years it was hidden under the cover of properness. But now it's right out in the open. The wickedness is there for everyone to see. In fact, they call what is good evil, and what is evil they call good. Now, I don't mean to be offensive. I'm just telling you I have faced the giant power, spiritual powers of this city almost my entire life. And I have been spectacularly unsuccessful in breaking through that demonic barrier. And I'll tell you, I believe that's because I lack Holy Spirit power. I had an opportunity to sit with with Pastor Billy Graham at Channel 7 one day. He was going to be interviewed, and I was there to cut spots for my church, television spots, 30-second spots. So we were sitting in the same in the same room. And of course I recognized him and I introduced myself and we began to speak one with another. He was a very gracious man, a very kind man. I said to him, Billy, why have you not come to Washington DC to hold a a great rally? an evangelistic campaign like you have in other cities? He said to me, I've not been able to do that because the churches will not cooperate one with another and the powers of darkness in this city have simply blocked our way. I was stunned. I was very young then. But I know it now to be true. I know that Washington, D.C. cannot be brought forward in the gospel of Jesus Christ until there are men and women in the church who are totally made righteous, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Spirit. The old-timers used to say, saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. They're right. That's what it's going to take to break the armor in the spirit realm that hold this great city captive. Now, I've earned the right to say these things. I have walked the streets of Washington in prayer walking. I have spent many, many months, yea, years, tutoring children in the inner city. I have ministered on the the street corners preaching evangelistic sermons in Georgetown, being chased from one lot to another. I have ministered in this city for over 50 years. And I'm telling you very bluntly and very plainly, there is such a strong demonic hold over this city And that demonic stronghold extends to America now. It has been spread by witchcraft. 
young millennial women particularly are becoming wikens, witches. We are in desperate trouble. And now, for a year, most churches have not met. I have absolutely no comprehension how a pastor could allow his church to be shut down and pretend they're doing church over the internet or Zoom. I'm, I'm speechless. It is not what the gospel of Jesus Christ calls for. I'm astonished that the pastors have not called their people to home meetings where they would go and preach to their people and carefully cultivate their heart for Jesus Christ. But the church in Washington and in America is primarily a business enterprise. It is an institution. It is a mindset of institutionalism. And we are bound in traditions and properness. I don't think it matters what the government says about whether we can meet or not meet. Jesus says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, and especially in the latter days. That has not happened. Jesus has vomited us out of our building. And we're now seeing the cold, lukewarm heartedness of the American church on full display. My hat is off to those brave pastors who have said, regardless of what anybody says, we are going to meet for worship. Maybe not in the building. We may have to meet in the backyard. We may have to meet in our homes, but we will meet. Now, I want to press further in the book of Acts in the 8th chapter. Acts, the 8th chapter. I'm going to begin to read for you in verse 14. Now the apostles in Jerusalem, having heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who after having come down, prayed for them that they may receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet come upon any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they were laying their hands upon them, and they were receiving the Holy Ghost. Then I take you to Acts 19, the church at Ephesus. Chapter 19, I'll begin with verse 1. Now it came to pass, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul, having already gone through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And after having found certain disciples, he said to them, If you received the Holy Spirit after having believed, he asked them. And then they said to him, But we never even heard that the Holy Spirit is given. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into the baptism of John. And Paul said, John indeed baptized, baptized a baptism of repentance, 
saying to the people that they should believe in the one coming after him. This is in Jesus the Christ. And having heard, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Paul, having laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they were speaking with tongues and were prophesying, and all the men were about twelve. So here I've given you two very clear examples that the Holy Spirit was not given at the same time baptism was given. It was a subsequent experience. Now in chapter 2 of Acts, and while the day of Pentecost is being fulfilled, they were all with one accord in the same place. And suddenly there came out from heaven a noise as the rushing of a mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues parting off as fire and sat upon each one of them. And they were all filled by the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues of a different kind as the scripture, as the Spirit was given to them to speak out. Now, please hear me. I don't want to be one of the foolish virgins who, when the bridegroom comes, when Jesus comes, discover that I don't have enough Holy Spirit presence in my life to carry me through in victory into the great wedding banquet of my Lord. But the truth is, at this last day, we must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. We must be saved, that is, from our sin. The sinning Christian will never understand this because they've been deceived by the modern preachers who believe that grace covers your sin. Grace never covers sin. Grace removes sin. Titus is very clear that grace teaches us to say no to uncleanness. We must be saved. And we must be sanctified. A work of the Holy Spirit burning in our hearts, cleansing the very root of the sin until the old man is removed from us until it is utterly destroyed. I shared that this last week. We'll, we'll deal with that again this week. Saved, sanctified, and then we must be sealed in the Holy Spirit for the day of salvation because it is that sealing in the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to win the lost. It brings a boldness and a a fire, and a holiness to our hearts. And without that, we're cripples. And I am tired of seeing people who call themselves Christians who are crippled by their pride, who are crippled by their very sensitive nature. I recognize that some of you are not going to accept what I'm saying, and you might even be angry, and you might even have turned off the broadcast all right. All right. I get it. But my commitment 
is to follow Jesus wherever he goes. I want the fullness of Jesus Christ in my life. And I don't have that fullness yet. And I'm going to seek it with all of my heart. Cutting off anything that would distract me from seeking after Jesus for everything he has in the gifts of the Spirit. If you read the book of Ephesians, you'll read that Jesus comes with gifts to give to his people. Those gifts are enablements to do the work of the gospel commission. If you are not fulfilling in your life the gospel commission, then you are an unfaithful servant before Jesus. If you have won no one to Jesus Christ, then you need to repent, for you have sinned against the Lord. You have not fulfilled and done what he told you to do in the gospel commission. I know we have our cultural understanding of the gospel. I can't go with a gospel that is simply a cultural understanding. I must have the understanding from the word of God, and I have spent my life searching out after Jesus. I must have his fullness. I am done with, I spent many months being trained as a psychotherapist. I put all of that aside. It's foolishness. I was trained in seminary in apologetics. I've taken what was in the scripture and I've left the rest on the cutting table. I only want Jesus. I'm not going to go with a cultural understanding of Jesus. I need the real deal in the word of the living God. I'm asking, do you need the same? Do you need the fullness of Jesus in your life? Saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, we're out of time. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I hope that you will pray through what I've said today and that you will join me in seeking the fullness of the Holy Spirit that the demonic powers of this great city could be cast out. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Today, 